Thank you, Ted. Very, very good. Another round of applause. Maybe we can see about taking up a collection, get one of those for Mike. Uh, I think uh, that'd be interesting, huh? Good morning, Book of Life. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Nick LaPrell. I'm normally upstairs right there doing the uh, graphics. Nancy LaPoff has graciously filled in for me this morning so that I can share with you the book of James, possibly one of my favorites in the, uh, in the whole Bible here. So there's a guy up in Pearly Gates, and he's, uh, he's standing there right before St. Peter. St. Peter looks at him, and he starts thumbing through the book, and he keeps thumbing through, and he's just going and going, and he looks up at the guy and says, you know, you haven't done anything wrong necessarily, nothing real bad, but I can't find a single good work uh, in your entire life. I can't let you in unless you can tell me at least one good deed that you did. And so he, he, he looks up at St. Peter, he says, well, I was driving down the road and uh, I saw this group of bikers, these mean guys, and they were just hassling this poor lady off the side. It looked like they were gonna hurt her or something. So pull my car over to the side of the road and I, uh, I get out there and I, I say, hey, and they wouldn't even look at me, you know. So, so I walked right up to the leader, and I punched him square in the face. And he went down like a, like a, a sack of rocks. St. Peter says, well, that, that sounds like a pretty good deed. When did this happen? He says, about two minutes ago. <laughs> so we have this kind of a concept. And, and, and there's a million of these jokes. They're, they're great fun. But uh, we have this uh, concept in our society of uh, doing these good works and uh, if St. Peter sees him in the book, then he's going to let you in. Now, as Christians, we know that's not the case. Uh, if you're here, there's probably a good chance that, uh, that we understand that. We'll get into that. Um, but it's, it's really kind of saturating uh, our society. And uh, it, it doesn't even stop there. We have uh, Islam says that uh, you have to weigh your good works and your bad works. And if uh, the good weighs more, then, then you're in. We have uh, some, some of the uh, more Eastern philosophies have concepts like karma. The more good works you do, the better off you are in your next life. If you do bad works, then you're worse off in your next life. So it, uh, it, it's not simply just a, a secular thing. There's, there's several different religious connotations uh, among it as well. Um, what I would like to focus on today is uh, that we have uh, the concept, even within ourselves, within the Christian church, we have this idea of faith only. Our faith in Jesus is what saves us. That's it. But then we also have other people over on this side that say, it's faith and works. Without your works, you're not gonna get in. You have to have both faith and works. Both sides have a, a pretty decent argument, so we're gonna take a look at that and, uh, and see where they're coming from and uh, really try to get to the bottom of this. And I think uh, James helps us that, uh, with that a lot. So we'll start off. Um, Paul says in Ephesians, for, grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So Paul says if it was our own works, we'd be able to say, hey, I saved myself. How cool am I? You know, but uh, he's saying it's, it's not the, the case. It's, it's, a, it's a gift. But then James, he goes on, he says, uh, but do you know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? For as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we've already got kind of a little issue. And you'll notice that uh, the, the people that are preaching faith alone, they will favor uh, Ephesians and, and some of Paul's works, but then the people will say, no, it takes faith and works, we'll cite James. Um, it, it gets even more interesting. We take a look at, uh, at Jesus for, uh, for our example here. Now, one of the directions that, uh, that we like to go is we take a look at the story of the thief on the cross, right? 
So Jesus is on the cross. He's in, he's in you know, last few hours. And there's a thief next to him that apparently is there for a reason. Unlike Jesus, you know, this guy is admitted uh, a, a sinner. And he's probably not led the best life. But uh, he stands up for, uh, for Jesus. He says, uh, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So this guy's led a bad life. He understands who Jesus is. And he has faith in Jesus. And Jesus says, you're, you're in. He didn't say you have to be baptized first. He didn't say, well, you need to, to, to tithe to, uh, to your temple, to your church first. He didn't say you have to go to church every Sunday morning first. He said, I'll see you there. However, Jesus also said that he'd come back and he'd separate the sheep from the goats. We know this story, right? It's, uh, it's in Matthew 25, uh, 31 to the end. And it's, uh, it's a very detailed description by Jesus himself. He says that uh, there are going to be people standing there, and he's going to say, you know, for you people, you, uh, you went out and uh, you, you did these good things. You visited people who were sick. You gave food to those who were hungry. And, uh, and, and so, so you're in. And then, then on the other hand, he's going to look at other people and say, you didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't visit me when I was sick. And uh, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's a difficult verse to wrap our minds around because Jesus is basically saying, you guys did some good things. You followed what I asked you to do. You're coming with me, but you guys didn't. And so you're... You're, you're going into eternal damnation. It's difficult for us to understand, but again, we've got these, these two sides here, even through Jesus himself. What I found really interesting is uh, both Paul and James use Abraham as an example. So we take a look at Paul in Romans uh, chapter 4. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who has works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So Paul rightfully says, if we're looking for works, it's a problem, because those works cover a debt that we cannot cover. Our sin debt, what we owe to the Lord, we can't pay. All our works do is point that out, that we can do this and we can do this, we're not going to fill that in. We're not going to cover that debt. It's a reminder of our debt. James, however, says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Uh-oh. We've got the same story of Abraham, and it seems that they're coming from different ends. You've got James says, well, it required these faiths. He had to, he had to, he, he, sorry, he required these works. He had to do these works in order for it to be counted as salvation. Whereas Paul says, well, it was simply his faith in God. 
they seem to disagree. But uh, what James is getting at is he says that uh, these works allowed Abraham to exercise his faith. Now, it seems to contradict, but uh, does Scripture ever contradict? No, right? It simply doesn't contradict. It's a perspective thing. To say, you know, this verse over here is in contradiction with this verse over here is for this puny little guy to look up at God and say, God, what are you doing? You got it wrong. Let, let me help you out. I've got some theology over here that can resolve this for you, Lord. Maybe if we do it this way, right? It's ridiculous. I mean, he's so much bigger than we are. We, ha we have nothing to offer there. What we do have is an obligation to figure that out. If we see this verse doesn't agree with this verse, it's not the verses, it's not the word of God that is wrong, it's our perspective. So we need to do a little bit of, uh, of, of work into figuring out what the proper perspective is to see what the word of God is trying to tell us. So we study a little bit further. What we're finding here is I believe that James and Paul are saying the same thing, but they're saying it from different angles. We have, on one hand, Abraham's action demonstrated his faith. We know that he trusted God because he went down there, he went to the altar, he took his son with him, he raised a dagger. He was about to do exactly as the Lord had asked him to do. He was about to sacrifice his son. If he didn't do that, what would we say of Abraham? He disobeyed God. God told him to do something, and he didn't do it. He didn't have faith in the Lord. That's... That's the key to, uh, to understanding how they're both talking about Abraham. There's different aspects of it. Paul is focusing in on, on his faith. He's saying Abraham trusted in God, and therefore it was accounted to him in righteousness. James says, how would we know that Abraham trusted in God had he not taken those actions? So maybe we need to take a, a, a good look at uh, what, the, what is faith and what is works, uh, at least biblically speaking. So works are simply what God wants us to do. We have the law, we have the Ten Commandments, we have all the various different things that, that we are asked to observe as, as Christians, as followers of God. Uh, Jesus, when asked what's the most important law, summed it up in a, just such a beautiful way in uh, Matthew 22. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Jesus says, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for me to pick among hundred laws and say, which is the big one? I'm going to give you one that encompasses all of those. Love God. So if you love God, you're going to follow his, his commandments. You're going to do the works that he has, has made you to do. If you love your neighbor, you're going to be kind to them. Again, you're going to do exactly what Jesus has asked us to do the culmination of all works. So th those are works. Now, on the other hand, we have faith. Is faith believing in Jesus? James, uh, according to James, he says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So again, is, is believing in God faith? Satan believes in God. Is he going to be up there with us? We're going to go up there. Oh, hey, yeah, I guess he believes in God too, right? There are plenty of people I know that believe that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, had a ministry. He was a real guy. There's plenty of, you know, history behind that. It's kind of hard to dispute. Are they saved? Just knowing that, you know, Jesus was a man. He existed. This, this idea of faith is simply belief in Jesus doesn't take it quite far enough. 
passively believing in Jesus isn't enough for the demons, it's not enough for Satan, it's not enough for us. Simply saying, I believe that there was a guy 2,000 years ago named Jesus doesn't get us in. We have to live, we have to have faith in Jesus, we have to know that he is God. We have to trust that he has our salvation, that he's given his salvation to us. We have to have that relationship with him. We have to live like we believe it. If Abraham chose not to go down there with his son and offer him up as a sacrifice, but then he says, you know, I, I trust God, what would we say? Yeah, right. You, you disobeyed him. He asked you to do something you didn't trust that he would provide just in that one instance. How are we supposed to believe you? If we say, I trust Jesus, but then he says, do this, do that, live like this, and we say, that's not for me, who's going to believe us? James says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? We have these guys out there. They, they have the, uh, the snake handlers, right? And they go in these, these crazy parties. They, they say that, you know, the Lord told us that, that we can handle snakes and not be bitten. We have faith that's, that he's going to save us. And they, they handle these snakes. And every once in a while, they get bitten. Some of them die. It, it's horrible. Their, their faith is completely misconstrued because they took the word of God and they didn't, they didn't place it in the right area. They didn't quite understand that. They're putting themselves in a situation. They're, they're, they're trusting in something they're not supposed to trust in. We're not to tempt the Lord God, right? If you stand out in the middle of a street, you've got a big semi coming. You say, I have faith. I have faith that God's going to keep me from getting hit. Things going to run you right over, right? You're not living with that faith. If, if you have faith, step out of the way. He's, he's given you everything you need. He's provided for us. If you don't want to get bit by snakes, don't play with them. Right? He's, he's provided for us in that way. If you don't want to get hit by a truck, use those legs that God gave you and move out of the way so it doesn't hit you. So he says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but do not, but do not give them things which are needed for the body, what does it profit them? Thus also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have your faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. It's kind of a puzzle. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question to answer. He's saying, I'll show you that I have faith by doing works. I will do what the Lord has called me to do. I will follow Jesus and, and therefore you'll see that I have faith. How can you show me your faith without your works? Think about it over my head. I can't imagine a way. I don't think it, I, there, there's no way, right? How can you show somebody your heart? How can you show somebody that you trust in Jesus if you don't live like you do? It says that uh, if you have somebody out on the street corner, they're hungry, they need a meal, what good does it do to tell them, you know what, I have faith in Jesus. I'll give you a blessing, give you a prayer, and on my way. They're still hungry, right? There's no works behind it. Our faith, it's great. You know, if we really do trust in Jesus, that's wonderful. But it hasn't helped this hungry person out there one bit. If we take that faith where Jesus says, feed the hungry, and we go and we get them something to eat, that action behind that faith, that's where it's at, right? Ephesians 
if we uh, read just a little bit further into this, we can start to see that Paul understood the same thing. So they're not really disagreeing here. It says, For by, by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He understands there's a little bit further there. Faith and works go hand in hand. Now, sometimes we can take works and we make a little bit more out of them than we should. And this was uh, nothing, nothing different. This was something we see in several of the epistles. In uh, Galatians, he says, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit of the law, now being made perfect by the flesh? He's warning them. He's, the Spirit of God saved you. Your faith in Christ saved you. You can go on and do these works, and that's great because we're called to do it, but can that add to your salvation? Can that make you any more saved? It, it, it really is foolish. It trips a lot of people up. In Romans, he says, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that one point, saying the difference is you have on one hand people who do works because their faith drives them to. And you have on the other hand people who do works because they think that that's what's required to get into heaven. You have those of us that say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to feed the poor because that's what Jesus has asked of me. And you have other people that say, I'm going to feed the poor so that when I get to the pearly gates, St. Peter can look in the book and see I fed the poor and let me in, right? Now we have what we need. We can reconcile the, uh, the, the trouble verses. There's a lack of faith. There's probably a lack of works showing us that. If you see somebody with a lack of works, there might be a lack of faith. Now we don't know people's heart like the Lord does. The Lord knows hand in hand, saved, not saved, follower of me, not follower of me. There are certainly people who are followers of Jesus who struggle a little bit with the works. I know I do. I, I think we all do on some level. And that's, let's, let's let that be a challenge to ourselves to walk in faith, to live like we actually have that faith in Christ. But, uh, you know, you're not, you're not typically going to find somebody who walks with Christ and does the things that Christ asks them. You're, you're not going to find their, their faith troubled. So you have some guy who says, you know, I'm a Christian. Well, you're a Christian, but you don't go to church. Never seen you read the Bible. Haven't seen you give to charity. You pass by people that are asking for, for money or having trouble. You have friends that, you know, need a square meal and, and you won't provide for that. And, you know, yesterday you ran that poor old lady off the road because she was going slow. You know, it's not exactly living like a Christian, right? Now, again, we don't know the heart. But somebody who's living like that has evidence that they don't trust in Christ. They don't trust him enough to do what he's asked them to do. Is it really hard to read the Bible? I mean... We, we know you open that Bible every morning, we're just, we're, we're blessed all the time from it. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And as we do that, because we have faith that our time's not going to be wasted, we have faith in Jesus that he's going to communicate to us through that word. 
And again, you know, it's, it's important to realize that uh, it can go too far. Um, in, in Galatians uh, chapter 2, he says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. This is the easy part of the conversation. There's, there's nothing that, that counteracts that. Throw that out there. If you're having an argument with somebody that says it takes faith and works to be justified, it takes faith and works to be saved, uh-uh. For by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Works don't have a part in it. So here's how it works. It's, uh, it, it's sort of a system, uh, a, a series of events. First off, we're sinful and we're hopelessly lost. We have no hope without the Lord, without Jesus. We are destined for hell. That's simply our being. But Jesus was sent to die on the cross, demonstrating God's grace. We know the verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We say it so much, it's almost like a cliche, but it's not. This single verse summarizes the entire Bible. That's the most important thing that we need to know. If we were to open the Bible and read one sentence, that's the one. That's the most important. There's lots of great stuff, and we should be reading and understanding as much of it as we possibly can, but that's where it all starts. It's, it's God's grace. That's where our salvation comes from, nothing else. It's his grace. He didn't have to give it to us, but he gave it to us. We are destined to hell, but he says, even though I don't want you there, so he gives us his grace. We receive that grace through faith in Christ. So he's given us a gift. What is the faith? Our trusting in Christ. We accept that gift. That's all it is. He says, I went, I died, I paid the price for you. Here it is. We say, yeah, you know, I've, I've read about that. I know there was a man 2,000 years ago at least. We're basically staring at that gift and, and just sitting there. We're not doing anything, right? But our faith in Christ, we accept that gift. That's, that's the important part. And that's why they're saying, by grace, through faith. Our faith in him is us accepting that graceful gift from the Lord. We demonstrate that faith through works in obedience to God. So that's the final step. This is where the works comes into play. So we have grace, we're given a gift, we accept that gift in faith, and as a result, because of that gift, because we opened up that gift, we get excited and we say, Lord, I love you, I want to do what you want me to do. Lead me, help me to do this thing. We're grateful to him. There's nothing behind it. If we have the faith in him and we trust him in the ways that we are supposed to, we simply naturally want to follow him. We want to do the things that he's called us to do. For we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He made us for these good works. It's expected that we do them. It's not a salvation issue. It's simply naturally where we're going to levitate like moths to a flame. It's in our nature. When you accept Christ, when you have faith in Christ, you want to do these things to please him. So in closing, I found a, uh, a really neat excerpt from uh, a book from Chuck Swindoll uh, called Improving Your Serve. 
and uh, it's just it's so relevant to this message. So I figured we'd uh, we'd take a look here. He says, uh, "Let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you are my executive assistant in a company that is growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. To pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangement arrangements." to take my family in the move to Europe for six to eight months, and I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I tell you that I will write you regularly and give you directions and instructions. I leave and you stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out all of my expectations. Finally, I return. Soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office and I'm stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high. A few windows along the street are broken. I walk to the receptionist's room, and she is doing her nails, chewing gum, listening to her favorite radio station. I look around and notice the waste baskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed in weeks. And nobody seems concerned that the owner's returned. I ask for you, and someone in the crowd lo uh, crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move on into that direction. I bump into you as you're finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office, which has been turned into a television room for watching evening soap operas. What in the world is going on, man? What do you mean? Well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah, sure, got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we have a letter study every Friday night since you left. We even divide all the personnel into small groups, and we discuss many of the things that you wrote. Some of those things are really interesting. You'd be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. One or two even memorized an entire letter or two. Great stuff in those letters. You get the point, right? We've been given these letters. We've been given these instructions. The Lord says, this is how you are to live. This is what I want from you. This is what I expect from you. This is what you are to do, how you are to, to respond to my gift. And it's one thing to read and understand those things, but it's a whole other thing to actually do those things. If we're not doing those things, we have to question at least ourselves, do I have faith? Do I believe in this word of God that is telling me what to do? Do I believe that it's enough that it's going to save me? Is it worthwhile? It should change us. We need to live like we believe. All right, so let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for gathering us here this morning. We thank you most of all for your word that, uh, that you share it with us. Lord, that it's something we can understand, that it's, it's not something that we have to be left in wondering, that it's something we can reconcile. We thank you that it, uh, that it agrees, each verse agrees with another, that, uh, that we can trust it 100%. Lord, uh, we just ask that you continue to bless our morning here. We uh, ask that you bless the food that uh, we're about to go and enjoy. We ask that you bless the ministry that prepared it, and that you bless our fellowship here this morning. And Lord, we just uh, we can't thank you enough for, uh, for your gift of grace, and we just ask that you uh, put it on our hearts this week to respond to, uh, to that grace in faith by doing the things that you've called us to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name.
Well, good morning, everyone. Um, before I get started, I'd like to hand out this engraver. And what I would like for you to do is to pretend to engrave your name in the palm of your hand. Now, this one I had to borrow because the one that I had, I wanted to bring was for my, my dad, and just by looking at it would make your palm bleed. And while I do, while you guys go ahead and do that, I'll go ahead and like to speak about prayer. Um, we are all in need of prayer. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're experiencing some point in your life that you need prayer, it's very, very important to you. It's very important to the Lord. And there are three words that I would like to concentrate on. The first is on, is on patience, which is found in Psalms 37, 7. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And while we're waiting patiently for Him, that also means, of course, that we are praying, but we wait patiently for Him. That means, as Nick was saying this morning, faithfully trusting and believing in Him. Persistence and specific are all found in the book of Luke in chapter 11. And Jesus said, then He said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at night and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are already with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Don't pray on something one time. Be persistent always. And be specific in what you want. God wants you to be specific. Be specific, be persistent always. There are two parts to prayer. There's the value of prayer, and there's also the hindrances to prayer. For the value of prayer, in Psalms 145, it says that prayer assures one of the Lord's presence. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He hears our cries, and He saves us. Prayer brings help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So come with reverence before our King, but also come with Him in bold assurance because He is your friend and He is your counselor. And finally, prayer pleases God from Proverbs 15.8. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases Him. The prayer of the upright is from the heart, but not so with the sacrifices of the wicked. As I mentioned, there's also the hindrances to prayer. Anxiety hinders prayer. We've heard this many times before from Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. What I have for each and every one of you is it's like a bookmark, or it can be put on your refrigerator. Whatever it may be, if it's one thing that's on your heart, if it's many things, it has a place on here to write down those major issues. On the reverse side is to list things, prayers that God has answered. In other words, instead of a major issue coming up every time, and the first thing that usually comes to our mind is, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Instead of worrying and being anxious, pray about it first. Doubt hinders prayer. From James 1, 5 through 7, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Failure to pray hinders prayer. In James 4, you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James mentions most common problems in prayer. Not asking, or praying, asking for the wrong things, asking for the wrong reasons. Your prayers should be, will become powerful when you allow God to change your desires so they perfectly correspond with his will. And finally, losing heart hinders prayer. It comes from Luke 18. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray means keeping our requests constant as we live day by day, believing he will answer. And as we persist in prayer, we grow in character, faith, and hope. These will help us in our times of need, but it will also help those others who are in need as well. And that's my closing.